Now, last week, Brandon so elegantly taught on how long is your Bible. Now, he wasn't telling you to take out a tape measure and say, you know, I want you to measure it and say that it's five inches long or four inches wide or any of that. Not, he didn't, wasn't even talking about that, how many pages are in your Bible. Now, we had several examples of that, that we had, you know, many different variants within those numbers. Um, but it's not the fact of how long your Bible physically is. And the way I've kind of reconciled it to myself, think is he's talking about the Bible that you have up here. And I know I'm not talking about how many scriptures you have memorized. But it's the Bible that you literally enact daily, hourly, every minute of your life. So last week he talked about briefly how you can love stupid people. Okay, that, and that's his words, not mine, but it's the best awesome way to put it, really. You can love stupid people, regardless of what it is. And just so you, if you think you can't love stupid people, if you love me, you're loving stupid people. I'm just throwing that out there. So um, you can love stupid people, Brandon, as Brandon put it. So that really kind of caught my attention. So for this week, as we continue in to ask how long is your Bible, I really want to focus in on that aspect of what is love. And do we fully understand love? So a couple questions just as introduction is, does your Bible include forgiveness? Does it include the love God, love people rule? Are these a priority for you? Or let me put it this way, is God's love and grace a priority for you? So, as I'm going through this morning, let's just think on these questions. Are these priority issues? Because that's the main jab, so to speak, of the series is what are your priorities and where is the priority of the Bible within your life? Is it the center focus and everything else branches from it? Or is it just a piece of the pie that we come to or deal with twice a week? So to, to really get started into the meat of the, the lesson... Let's first answer the question, what is love? What is love? Do we, we think about love as an emotion? You know, you love your, your wife or your husband, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, or some of us, as it's been made known here, love German chocolate cake, right? So these things are all love that we use, forms of the word love, so to speak, forms of love. But what is actual love? Well, if you have your, your Bible this morning, we're going to be in Romans 12. Um, multiple verses, we're going to stay in Romans 12 for the morning. We're going to start with just verse 9 and 10 to start with. I love to hear pages turning. Just, I don't know, maybe that's just weird of me. But I love to hear, we have physical Bibles present today, because that means the Word of God literally is dwelling with us today. So, it's awesome to hear. So, now, on the screen, I have a, a kind of an odd translation for me to use that I typically don't use. Um, it, it, the ones close to me know I'm kind of a stickler. I like ESV, the uh, English Standard Version. Um, but in, in my research and my, my studying for this lesson, I come across a translation known as, ironically in my opinion, God's Word translation. And, um, and for these first two verses, it, was, it literally stuck to the kiss rule. Keep it simple, stupid. And if you don't understand this, 
come talk to me because this is short, sweet, to the point. So, verses 9 and 10 in the God's Word, it says, Love sincerely, hate evil, hold on to what is good, be devoted to each other like a loving family, and excel in showing respect for each other. Very, very blatant, blunt. I mean, it's kind of, to me, it makes me think of James. It's just right in your face. It's right there. There's no, no getting around it. So, love, as we can see here, is to be genuine. It's to be affectionate. It's not just simply the thoughts or the, just the action itself, but it's a genuine deal. It's an affectionate deal. See, the New American Standard simply says, let love be without hypocrisy. Oh, hold on. Hypocrisy. Love without hypocrisy. Now, we talk about hypocrites in the church a decent bit. A little bit here and there at least, anyhow. But we hear that word a lot more, especially within this last few months, last year, being as it's an election year. We've heard hypocrite or hypocrisy a lot in media in from different people social media wise and we all kind of understand that hypocrisy is simply saying one thing and then completely doing another so if love is to be without hypocrisy then we need to be very honest we need to be very much of a person of integrity in love so if, if we say, for example, if I go home to my wife, or I get home before my wife off of work, sit on the couch, do nothing, watch TV, baby's not even home yet, it's just me, get comfortable, sit on the couch, wife comes home. I say, I love you, sit there on the couch, do nothing. She does everything. She cooks dinner, she cleans up, she takes care of the baby, I'll sit there and watch whatever is on TV. Sit on the couch. Now, this same pattern progresses every day in, day in, day out. Now, most of the guys are already looking at me like you are just outright stupid. You're, you're just crazy. There's something mentally wrong with you. I'm surprised you're still alive. Okay? So, but that, and that proves my point just in that. And because if I say I love you, but yet I'm not even helping or doing any actions, not, you know, even if it's simple gestures or flowers or taking the trash out, if I'm not doing any of that, then is my love actually genuine? Is it actually in, an integrity issue happening there? Is it something where I'm showing I'm a person of integrity? I would beg to differ. See, in this verse... We also see that it's love is to hate what's evil. Love is to disregard what is wrong. So what what is it that's wrong? Okay, we, we kind of understand evil. We kind of get that. That's a big word, but it's kind of general. Evil, okay? So a lot of people have subjective thoughts of what's wrong. Of what is wrong, what's right and what's wrong, right? We have um, in apologetics where you hear it all the time that right and wrong and morality, they're subjective. It depends on the person and each individual circumstance. Biblically, we know that to be wrong. 
We know that to be false. That there is an objective rule, there's a 100% divine rule that we follow, whether we like it or not. And what's wrong, biblically, for us Christians, detesting the things that are wrong would be detesting the things that are sinful. If you detest what is sinful, you'll stay away from the things that are wrong in most people's eyes. And it's a pretty simple um, task when we think about it. We know biblically we say, you know, to stay away from things that are sinful, we have to stay in the Word, stay in God's presence, right? So it's a pretty simple task. Does that always happen? Does it always seem to work that way? Work that simply? No. Because there's a big issue henceforth and it's the fall of nature, but the best way to actually prevent loving what is evil, best way to prevent the things that are wrong and falling into those paths is to do exactly what the very last part of 10 says. And it says, excel in showing respect for each other. Not to each other. Don't show respect to individual people, but show respect for individual people. And that's a big, big difference. But see, now I may look at y'all and look at me on stage and, you know, I'm my ripe young age of 27 years old. I fall into the category that me and Brandon and some of our other members of this category don't necessarily like the title, but we're called millennials. And I may look like it, I may even sound like it, act like it sometimes, but because of the way I was raised, there's a lot of aspects that make me an oddball in that category. One of those is I'm here teaching the Word of God. I'm dedicated to a church body that's so founded on the Word of God that love, grace, and mercy are permeating every person here. And we know what family means when it comes to the body of Christ. So that's one aspect. But I'm also a product of a single-parent home. Which means I was raised by my grandparents more often than my mother. Now, well, that happens a lot, right? Okay. Well, let, let me give you an example. Or let me, let me back that up a little bit by saying my grandmother, before she was married, lived past where the black top ends, as she puts it, and never wore shoes. My grandfather had to fight with her the first few years of marriage to put shoes on because it was habit. She was out country, good old boy mentality folk, great, great, awesome people. Which means when I was at their house, respect was embedded into me to the extent that if I didn't show respect, I was in trouble something serious. So, when I, to understand that respect to somebody is different to respect for somebody is completely different is a big deal within my generation alone. Because we, more often than not, we see disrespect than we see respect. Respecting, showing respect to somebody is simply saying your yes ma'ams and yes sirs and walking away and could care less about them. Or talking bad about them, mumbling under your breath, so, so on and so forth. Respect for somebody is saying I respect them and when they say something to me whether I like it or not I'm going to understand it I'm going to take it in 
I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to actually do something with it. Okay? So to excel in showing respect for each other prevents that. Because now you're not going to be in a bitter mindset. You're not going to be in a hateful mindset or anything of that sort because of it. But it's called for us to be excellent at showing respect. To excel in respect. So we need to learn what true respect is and then actually excel at it. My generation is is pretty terrible. My generation and down, actually. And the farther down you go, or up, however you want to classify that, the younger you get in age, the worse and worse it seems to get. And it's because it's an exponential growth because parents are not teaching kids this and not, and many people within society are not teaching others' kids or those that they have authority over this. For example, you have videos online that pop up every so often where the teacher, who is older than myself, that branches, branch, most of the time branches out of my generation, probably one before me, shows disrespect to the students that they are teaching. And then expect the result of respect from them. That seems a little bit hypocritical to me. It's that whole do as I do, or do as I say, not as I do. I don't know about you guys. Maybe I'm just a rebel. But it don't work. Exactly. Exactly. Because I'm going to do what you do, not what you say, and then when I get in trouble, I'll say, well, you do it. So why can't I? I don't care that you're 30 years older than me or 20 years older than me. Why can't I do it? You do it. What's the difference? Well, I'm an adult. Okay. I'm about to be an adult. What does it matter? We're all human. So what does it matter? So that rule does not hold up. But if you excel in true respect, a lot of those little things that we nitpick at disappear. When we have a biblical understanding of true respect, it does disappear. So love is all of these things that I talked about and in its basis that it has to be genuine, it has to be affectionate, and it has to be without hypocrisy. But we also have to understand that love hates evil. So, do you actually understand love then? Do you truly understand love? You see, in the beginning, remember I asked questions, is forgiveness in your Bible? Is love actually in your Bible? Is the God love, love God, love people rule in your Bible? Now, I'm not necessarily asking you to say, are these words physically in your Bible? Again, we're talking about the Bible that we hold and act on every day in, in our heads. So let, let's kind of go on into, on down into Romans 12 there, starting with 11 now, verse 11, and see what, what else this says as they, the writer here continues on with, it, with his description. See, it says, starting 11, it says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. I'm going to stop right there. I know we're breaking this up for just a moment. Because hospitality here in the South is something common sense, right? It's called Southern hospitality for a reason, right? So we, we understand that. But how often do we have Southern hospitality? Right? We kind of have this moment of, you know, uh, 
You're the you're guy behind the guy letting traffic out, right? Being hospitable to the people coming out into traffic. But you're this guy. <laughs> right? What are you doing? Right? That's you. So that's not very southern hospitality, right? That, that's not. So uh, just keep that in mind. We are commanded here to show hospitality and seek out to be able to show that, not just show it. Okay? So we're actually called to seek that out. Continue on. It says, Bless those who persecute you. And bless, bless and do not curse them. That's another big one. Pay attention to that. Bless those who persecute you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony. Another big one. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself. I'm sorry, beloved. Never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So before I even really get into the notes that I have, that I am going to hit, I briefly want to go back to a couple of spots here that are very big in here. It says, to bless those who persecute you. Now right after it talks about showing and seeking out hospitality, it says, you know that guy that always picks on you, that one guy or girl that's always just got some kind of, you know, as, as it's called now, throwing shade or being a hater or whatever it is, you know, he just is disrespectful, just rude. That one guy, you're supposed to bless that guy. You're supposed to bring him breakfast in the morning or buy him lunch one day. I don't care if you're like, I don't need you to buy lunch. And I'm like, well, I'm going to buy you lunch anyway. Let's just go out where you want to go. I don't care. Just pick some food, man. I'm hungry. I'm still going to buy your food. I don't care if that's how he is the whole time. We're called to bless those who persecute you. Now, the irony part, my, I guess the lapse in my brain forgot about Stan showing this video about persecution. And it shows, we show it right before we get into the message today, and it's talking about blessing those who persecute you. Now, these guys are coming out of a war-stricken country to other countries. Biblically, those that are driving them out, they're supposed to still be showing love to them. Supposed to be talking about the gospel with them and blessing them. So you're like, okay, so you're telling me that these guys that just had their family killed by a missile, that guy, you're supposed to bless those guys? Yes. We are called to love all people. Now, blessings come up in different ways and Sharing the gospel is simply one of those because you're sharing the best information, the only true, 100% true, no matter what circumstance you're in, information with somebody. That can be a blessing to them. So, getting back on track, you know, to pay no one for evil. No evil for evil. So, you see that love is not simply the action, but it's actually how you handle the situation. So, 
if you're to live peaceably, supposed to live in harmony with everybody, then you're going to not simply just have an action behind that. You're going to literally retain information about the situation, analyze it, and handle it. This doesn't mean that the physical action of, okay, you need a Bible, here's a Bible. Okay, that's a big Bible. We're talking about how long your Bible is. I might win that one. So, that's not what it's talking about. It's literally assessing and handling the entire situation. Now, we've got several people that are in our congregation that have been through some kind of forces, um, army, marines, um, different you know, specializations, all those things. And in that training, I know, because I've had several family members myself within the different forces, you are trained to assess the situation. You need to be able to do it quickly, and you need to do it very accurately. So the, the principle stands here because it's not the action that you take, but it's how you're handling the whole situation. Body language, mentally, physically, and emotionally. It encompasses every bit of you. It's not, again, it's not fi- just the physical actions that you take. We talk about compassion is the action of love. Yes. But that's still just a part of love. Love is literally the mental and emotional side of it as well. So, well, how, how does that make sense? How, how is it not just an action? Well, love is also not simply how we deal with people that we know, but it's deal with the people we don't know. So, everybody here, we consider ourselves family, right? We're all family, we're all happy family, loving family, right? It's awesome, good stuff. So we deal with everybody here, we're, we love everybody, we talk real nicely about everybody, and good to go. Now, what about that coworker that you got to see on Monday that doesn't come here? How do you deal with them? How do you, how do you handle them? Are you handling them just like a loving family? Are you being peaceable with them? Because you don't know them like you know us. So are you still showing that love to them? Is that kind of love still in your doctrine, in your Bible that you act out every day? What about, let's take it even a step farther. What about, you know, we talked about, there, there's certain different spots in the Bible that talk about true religion and so on and so forth, but we, we hear sponsor orphanages overseas and things like that. But how many of you personally know an orphan? I don't. I mean, that's a shame to me, but I don't. I don't personally know. I know that there's places in town that are orphanages that have orphans, and I've helped out their facilities and helped out them before, but I don't personally know any of them individually. So... If you don't know an orphan, how is it that you have true, undefiled religion to an orphan that you don't know? Show love. Right? You're showing love to the people you don't know at all. The stranger on the street, the guy that you see digging through the trash down by the mall, how do you handle that guy? Oh, that homeless bum, he needs to go get a job. Right? He, he just, he's just doing that because he wants to. He can go get a job if he wants to. Because it's that easy, right? I can attest as, again, as a 27 year old man, that getting a job is not always as easy as people make it out to seem. You know, as, 
the struggles that me and my family have went through every year of marriage, we've had at least some kind of job loss or income loss in one shape or form for every year we've been married. At least once every year. Now in those times, there's no way that I can just get a job. There's people out there that can do that. I'm not one of those people. I don't know. Maybe my face is not right for that job or something. I don't know. They just don't like my face when I come in. Like, nope, not that guy. They just don't like me. Look good on paper, obviously, because I get a call. But then they're like, nope, not that guy. But when we simply say, he just needs to get a job, then he can get some food. And walk away. And say it with that mentality. Is loving your Bible? Or is politeness and southern hospitality in your Bible? Because there's a difference. If love is not in your Bible, you're going to tell that man to get a job. If love is in your Bible, you're going to get him some food or give him at least money to go get food. You don't know if that's an angel in disguise, as people say. You are beckoned to help those to the least of these. Regardless of what they do with it, if God's Spirit moves in you to help someone out, you're to do it. If He says, give that man $20, and you have $20, you should be giving that man $20. You know you ought to say, okay, God's telling me to give this guy $20, but I think he's just going to go buy beer with it. I don't think he's going to go get food. That's none of your concern. Love does not put limitations on the the move of the Spirit. Love does not put limitations on compassion, which is the act of love. So, next part, how how is it we act face-to-face with people? Because see, that that makes a difference. Okay, we, in, in this age of social media, we, there's not as much courage, I guess to say, in today's society. There's a lot more cowardice because we'll go on Facebook or we'll go on Twitter or we'll go wherever and say, her hair was nasty and that dude was dirty. And we'll tag them and put pictures up of them and all this stuff, right? And they, they come to your face and say, why did you do that? You're like, I didn't do that. Oh, it's dumb though. Man, it's right here. So I can see it. it's all right here. It's all on your profile. Oh, somebody had my profile. I don't know what you're talking about. You're not going to go face to face with that person and say, man, you stink. You need a bath. Now, you know, maybe if it was me and Brandon, Brandon might tell me I need a bath, but, you know. But that's different. So, but you're, but how you act face to face with somebody versus how when you leave that person and go talk to somebody else, there's a difference. So, how you act towards that same person with other people when they're not present makes a big deal on what your aversion of love is. Because, see, gossip does not stir up love. If it does, I've never seen it happen. I mean, I don't know. Pastor Stan may have been in it longer than seen it as he takes his head no. So, I've never seen gossip stir up love. Most of the time that I've ever seen it happen, and no offense, ladies, I've seen this happen way more in females than I ever do in guys. Now, guys do it. Don't get me wrong. Guys do it. They're usually more brutal. But guys do it. It's far and few between, usually. But usually what happens is you create a rift between at least two people. And usually them two people have a posse of people that split. 
So now you've taken a divide straight down the middle of this relationship and created groups, cliques, friendships that maybe weren't even there. So, yeah, there's good to it, but you now you have a big rift. See, if you're talking about, you know, even if you talk to somebody and they have something and they tell you, say, you know, I'm really struggling right now and this is what I'm struggling with. They tell you that a lot of times in confidence that it stays with you too. So if you go and say to just some random person, I'll just take it to the shame, somebody not even in the church, and you just go, oh, well, so-and-so at my church, they're, they're dealing with all of this. See, they're, they actually have a drug addiction. They don't want anybody to know. But they told me, so now I'm telling you, and then, so which means if they got a drug addiction, man, they're probably really nasty, and they're really dirty, and they have diseases, and they are starving, and all this crazy stuff that's not even trying And what they were talking about is they needed some Advil because they had a headache. You see what happens there? It went from, I need some Advil, to they're a heroin addict or something. You know? Gossip's not building up love. So how you act with somebody face-to-face, if that changes when you talk to somebody else about that person, is love there? Is a biblical definition of love in your Bible? No. Uh, I jokingly said I might have should have brought one of my old pair of steel toes because I was afraid this might actually step on some toes. So I'll bring them next time I'm up here if needed. So this is hard stuff, but we need to hear this. As an American culture, love is not here anymore in a biblical sense. You know, we kind of go back to that, um, you know, whole free love thing. You know, the, the hippies days. And we love everybody. We love all people. Now you go to a church and you say, we love all people. Except for that homosexual over there. I don't love him. He's going to stay over there. That's not love. The physician came to earth to heal sick people. If you think I'm up here to talk to people that are well, you're wrong. Jesus came to heal the sick. And hopefully, with His strength and guidance, I can do the same. So, I talked about Americans don't have love, but we don't understand love except for up here, as I talked about in the beginning. Americans understand love only in their heads. So, well, what, does that, what does that mean? We, we don't have it in our heart. We're talking about we can't love somebody. We just know the scientific makeup of love, which is like impossible, by the way. So that, that's all we know. We understand the chemical reactions that create love. Okay, you can understand that. Okay. No, you, you can understand love, but you get it here. It stays here. It never moves. See, we forgive the person but not the actual trespass of the person. How does that, how does that make sense? How does that make sense? See, I heard this, on the, this phrase on the radio, and it stuck out to me, stayed in my mind. I, it took me a minute. He went, continued to explain it, and it, I fell in love with the expression. Is, as an American culture, we seem to forgive the person, but not the actual act that the person wounded us with. Now, how do you do that? How, how is that even possible? Say, like, oh yeah, I, I forgive so and so. He, he or she's, you know, we're good. We're, we're, we're like this. We're, we're tight now. We're, we're good friends. Everything's been restored. Okay, 
See, love forgives all. But we forgive the person so that we can be personable with them. So that we can put our face on and smile and say, hey, how are you? Right? And when you can go to Walmart together, you can go to the movies together, you can do the things you used to do. But now, something happens and one of you get mad. Well, now, remember that three-month three gap that y'all were not friends because y'all had, you know, this is a year ago, but three, three months y'all were not friends because something happened. Y'all were just raw at each other's throats. Well, all of a sudden, that one person says, you remember that thing you did a year ago to me? Yeah, you're wrong. That's your fault, and you hold them accountable for the action. But you forgave the person, right? You're all good. You're friends. But that action was sin to me and it hurt me. You sinned me. And I'm holding you accountable for it still. See, we hold somebody accountable for the actions when it's convenient for us. We say, we're going to be friends with you. We're going to be personable with you. But you make me mad. And that whole record you built up a year ago, comes back. Remember X, Y, and Z? Yeah, you did that. That was your fault. I have no reason to apologize. It's your fault. And now, what happens? Friendship's broken again. The relationship is under strain again. See, that doesn't make sense on a biblical sense of love. Forgiving the trespass is where you focus. Because the wound has to heal regardless of who did it. See, if your Bible actually includes love, then how is it that we have disagreements and disputes? You say, well, I, I love my wife and you know, we disagree sometimes. Okay, but you know what the difference in that is than what, I, what I'm talking about here? So we agree to disagree or we actually come to an agreement. What I'm talking about is how is it that we have denominational splits over the color of the carpet? If we understand that there is a center focus on Jesus Christ and how He was born of a virgin, died on the cross, bled for our sins, and raised back to life to glory, then how is it that orange and brown, these colors make a difference. Why is it that we have sister churches because they want an orange carpet and we want a brown carpet? Some of you laugh because you know the reference. So, what is the deal with disagreements and disappointments if you actually have a biblical sense of true love? Why is it that we have these denominations instead of that universal church. Why is it that that carpet's that big of a deal? See, our sign outside, you know, we had Northside Bible Church on it for a while. I think it says Community Church now on it, on our temporary sign. That's fine. But why does our church sign not just say Northside, or not just say, even better, this is a Christian church? Why does it say Orchard Baptist right down the road and around the corner from that says Orchard Assembly of God? 
Can't it just be orchard? But why can't it just be mobile? This is a mobile church. We have one mega church building where every Christian in the, in the vicinity of Mobile comes and meets. That is a universal church. You know the whole issue at the Tower of Babel? God said they have one language, they're acting together, they understand each other, they're going to do great things. There is no stopping them. I'm going to scramble the language. You know what the church is supposed to do? Flip that back around. So how does a denominational split solve that? You know what Satan's biggest scheme within the church is? Division. Doesn't matter if it's between two people or two churches. Satan's biggest scheme is to divide. Division does not equal love. It is hate. It is disrespectful. And flat out spits on the cross because God died for us to be unified. So why are we dividing? Why is it, I don't like your hair, so I'm going this way, instead of, you agree with Christ? I agree with Christ. We're saved saints. That's all I need to know. We agree on the foundations of our gospel. We agree on the foundations of what God created us to agree on. Move on. We pick petty reasons to split. There's two major trains of thought that, that split many of people over things not near as important as the cross of Christ. And it hurts me. It pains me that people get physically, almost physically aggressive over theology. Because at that point, anybody watching that argument says there is no God. Because that is not God that I would read about. So, as I roll in to conclude, I'm going to go ahead and ask the, the team to come back up, the praise team to come back up. We're going to wrap up with another song. But the takeaway for today is pretty simple. The first part of it you'll probably recognize. It says, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. The second part is really, really important. Love people with all of God's love, forgiveness, and grace. See, we all understand and think we got the first part pretty much down. Love with God with all your heart, mind, and soul. We got that. I love God. God and me, we're pretty tight. That second part? Nah, I don't like people. God's called you to love people. Like them or not, we are called to love. I don't care how stupid they are. I don't care what sinful life that they lead. We love the sinner, hate the sin. Love the sinner to Jesus Christ and sin will be taken care of every single time. So love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love people with all of God's love, forgiveness, and grace. Close us out with prayer. And I don't know, I might throw the band and everybody for a loop, but as they play this last song, I want to open the altars. Um, kind of a spur of the moment thing if you don't think you have this right or maybe there's an instance you just need to lay down in front of God I'm going to open the altars and just come and pray if you need to talk to somebody before or after the end of all of this pastors here are open we'll talk so as we 
I'll close this with prayer and then you're welcome to come to the altar to, to handle business with God.